I want to speak to you tonight about the coming of the Lord. I talked about it this morning. The wonderful, wonderful news that Jesus is coming back is being preached in so many different areas. But because of the seriousness of this great message, that if 99% of us go up in the rapture, and 1%, that's 1 out of 100, fails to go up, that is tragic. And this is the reason why that I feel compelled to talk about this quite often. And we just want to do this in a very scriptural fashion, but that I mean just look in the scripture. This would, will be fairly elementary to a lot of you. But I'm reading from Matthew 25 tonight. This has to do with the parable of the five wise and five foolish virgins. We have a good number of people in our congregation that just recently received the Holy Ghost. And we're certainly thrilled about this. At camp, uh, Heather Capaccio received the Holy Ghost. Heather, raise your hand. Would you do that? Isn't that fantastic? Fantastic. Good to have her here. Good to have her here. And then Brother James Hawk's daughter, Mattia, uh, received the Holy Ghost and was baptized in Wolf River in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. We rejoice over that. And then I'd also like to say that we want to welcome Bobby and Deborah Updike. They're moving to Madison. Can you believe that? Is that good news? I'm telling you, we are just thrilled about that. And we we told uh, Bobby, if you take her away... Uh, from us, things will not go well with you. <laughs> Just joking. I didn't tell Bobby that. <laughs> it's just just good that they will be joining us here shortly in Madison. We love and appreciate these people. Praise God. We need laborers. Jesus said, Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest, that he will send forth laborers into the kingdom. We need workers for him. I want to read uh, Matthew 25, verse 1 through 13. This is the parable of the wise and foolish virgins. Then shall the kingdom of heaven be likened unto ten virgins, which took their lamps and went forth to meet the bridegroom, and five of them were wise, and five were foolish. They that were foolish took their lamps and took no oil with them. But the wise took oil in their vessels with their lamps. While the bridegroom tarried, they all slumbered and slept, and at midnight there was a cry made, Behold, the bridegroom cometh, go ye out to meet him. 
Then all those virgins arose and trimmed their lamps. The foolish said unto the wise, Give us of your oil, for our lamps are gone out. But the wise answered, saying, Not so, lest there be not enough for us and you. But go ye rather to them that sell and buy for yourselves. And while they went to buy, the bridegroom came. And they that were ready went in with him to the marriage, and the door was shut. Afterwards also came the other virgins, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered and said, Verily I say unto you, I know you not. Watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour wherein the Son of Man cometh. And you may be seated. I think the very last verse that I read to you certainly calls our attention to the seriousness of this particular situation. Watch. Watch, therefore. For you know neither the day nor the hour wherein the Son of Man cometh. I want to take the Scripture that speaks of midnight, verse 6. And this is the scripture that I want to use, and at midnight, we're just going to talk about midnight. Now, in our Roman calendar that we use here in America, given to us by the Romans, uh, midnight is the expiration of one day and the dawning of another. Now, the Jewish way of keeping time is that that uh, the day starts first in the evening, 6 o'clock in the evening, and goes until 6 o'clock in the morning. And so what they have is first the evening and the morning. And the Jewish people took this from the example of the Scripture when God made the heavens and the earth. He declared the evening and the morning were the first day. First they had their period of darkness and then light. We start our day out with darkness, then we have daylight, and then we have darkness again. Now, we know that when Jesus Christ comes back, he will be gathering people from all nations, kindred and tongue. And this is something that that is it to me is so thrilling that God has given to all people regardless of their credentials in life whether they be rich or poor whether they be male or female whether they be bond or free I'm simply quoting the words of Paul in Galatians and also in the book of Ephesians and we all have the opportunity to be saved for God is no respecter of persons. And to me, when the church is reaching out to see people of all walks of life come into the church, it's, it's just so great. It is so great. And to look around and see so many people from so many different nationalities, and especially here in America where uh, people are on the move, I happen to be from Texas. I, I don't know if there's anyone here from further south than that, but I would assume that we have some from further south than that. 
some from out east and some from west and uh, maybe some from down in Mexico. Uh, Sister Lydia, I think, at one time uh, lived down close to Mexico City. Is that correct? South of Mexico City. Now, <clears throat> that's a long ways down there, I can tell you. Uh, I don't know if we have anyone uh, from further south than that. But uh, Shannon, all right? Shannon, I thought you were from Chicago. I thought you were from Chicago. From Jamaica, all right. Were you born in Jamaica? I did not know that. I knew that your parents were, all right? All right, okay, <clears throat> from Jamaica. All right, now I don't know who is from the furthest point north, but uh, I know Brother, Brother Manley's from Upper Michigan. Now I know that, and I know that's, that's not real far north, but uh, Sister, Sister uh, uh, Derber is from Toronto, but Toronto is n probably not much further north than we are here, is it? Now, you know, most of the time when you think of Toronto, you think of it being way up north. It, uh, I don't think it's much further north than here, maybe a little bit, but, but uh, she's saying, no, it isn't. So uh, do we have anybody from further north than upper Michigan? All right. <clears throat> now, <clears throat> I don't know how far it is from Jamaica to upper Michigan, but it's, it's, uh, it's a long ways, I know that. But isn't it amazing that God can take and just put us together, give us a scripture. Uh, all of us have different cultures, and culture determines how do you think about a lot of different things. Your basic philosophy about different things. Put us all together and uh, gives us the hope of all blending harmoniously in the holy city. And the reason why is because God is the Father of all of us. If we didn't have God, uh, that would be an impossibility. And if you want to know what it would be like without God, look out in the world with all the, the racism and the hatred and the fighting and the, the killing. Isn't it good to know God? Praise God. I mean, it's good to know God. That God can just put us all together in the house of the Lord. And we can worship God in spirit and in truth. Praise God. Oh, hallelujah, hallelujah. And when you read of the blissful events concerning the, uh, the church in heaven, my, I can read that and, and it's so descriptive in the book of Revelation. They shall come from the east and the west and the north and the south and shall sit down with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. It, it's just so wonderful. It's so wonderful. Since I've been preaching, I have been privileged to go into a lot of different parts of the world. And uh, I've preached to a lot of people. In fact, I've preached to people here in Wisconsin that lived in homes that did not have anything but a dirt floor. Can you believe that? When we were in in, in Shawano, and this was this was a real shocker. I pastored some people that that lived up north of Neopit, and Fred and Susie Pema. 
They could not speak English. And when Susie received the Holy Ghost at our camp, would you believe that she just spoke in perfect English for a long time? It was one of, one of the most beautiful things. Well, we had some ladies from Milwaukee praying for her, and they came over and said, you know, there's such a radiance about her, such a glow. And they, I, I said, well, she, she's just been praying for the Holy Ghost for a long time, and she's just doing everything that she, she knows to do. I couldn't communicate with her very well. But they came to church, no interpreter, just listened to me preach, and they smiled. And they clapped when everybody else clapped. And her husband could speak a little English. All right. But, but he would occasionally talk to her, and he didn't know how to whisper. He'd talk out loud. <laughs> But uh, uh, they said she'll just pray and pray and pray and pray and pray. And then, then she, she, she speaks in tongues a little bit. Well, they're speak what they thought she was doing, speaking in tongue, was the, uh, the Indian dialect that she was speaking in, which I've already forgotten what it was or what it is. But uh, she'd start just speaking in English. And we went over. And my wife called me and said, I want you to come over here and listen to Susie. And I went over there, and I mean to tell you, she was magnifying God and speaking in English. And when she stopped, you couldn't even communicate with her. My wife told the sister, says, she does not know one word in English. You know, when it snowed in the wintertime, in November usually, the latter part of November, they couldn't get out from where they lived. They lived way back on a logging road and way back in the woods. And uh, all summer long, Brother Fred, all, all he did was cut wood for the winter. And he did a lot of trapping. And Susie tanned the hides. That's how they made a living. And they had a house that had a dirt floor. Now, since this time in 1968, both of them have gone on to meet the Lord. Praise God. It was so great. They moved down close to Shano so they could come to church in the wintertime. Never had electricity in their house. Never. And I was a little bit concerned because they moved in an older house and it just had these light bulbs, you know, a little, little uh, uh, fixture just hanging from a... Uh, just a little extension cord like in the ceiling. Brother Fred, he said, Oh, Pastor, he said, bright lights hanging from strings. I told him, that's not a string. Now, don't go cutting that. I think you can shorten it or something. <laughs> that's not a string. I said, don't touch that thing. You know, you had to get up there and turn it on and off. It had a little, I think, a push type. I said, but don't cut that string, Brother Fred. Don't cut it. But he was so happy. So happy. And uh, he stood up in the church. You talk about a precious couple. You've just never met anybody like them in your life. He stood up in church, and he, he couldn't read. And one night we had a very dull, dead song service. And Brother Fred stood up and said, Stop! 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 We all st stopped. And he opened the hymn book says, he said, Brother Fred, don't know words. All I can do, he said, is just 
mm, hum along like a little bee. Didn't know the words. He said, you folks know how to read. He said, but sing. <laughs> he didn't know the words, but he wanted to sing. And when everybody was singing, you know, he, he, he would sing. And some of the words he didn't know, he would hum. But oh, what a precious person. What a precious person. Think about it, when he lifted his hands, his fingers were all crooked. I mean, he had the crookedest fingers you've ever seen. He lifted his hands, I thought, my, what happened to his hands? So I asked another man that uh, was responsible for bringing him, he said, Brother Grant, every finger he has has been broken in bar fights. He said he has had more fights he would, he would go to the bar every night of the week and get drunk. And they would end up throwing him out. And would you believe, he said, look at all of his fingers. He said, I've known him for a long time. I mean, they would just, one would go this way and one would go that way. But after a while, he was lifting those crooked fingers up toward the heavens. Jesus Christ had saved him. My, you talk about a testimony. He stood one night and tried to express in his broken English how God had talked to him while he was walking down a railroad track. He'd been kicked out of a bar and he'd had a fight. And he said, it was on that railroad track, he said, the Lord spoke to me and said, Fred, you have a devil, a drinking devil. And he says, then he says, don't know what a drinking devil looks like, he said. He said, I think it was about this long, like a pickle. About the size of a pickle, right here. <laughs> you remember him saying that, Sister Grant? He said, about the size of a pickle, right in here. He said, Fred went to some Christians, called the name of the brother and sister in our church, went to them, and I said, pray this devil out. You know, he thought he was a good Christian. Now, you have to understand, you know, that uh, some people can do all this and still be Christian. Quote, unquote, Christian, you know. But he got concerned. And God miraculously delivered him and filled him with the power of the Holy Ghost. My, you talking about a, you talking about a wonderful experience. There has never been a finer Christian that's ever walked on the face of the earth than Fred Pema. I really mean that. I really mean that. And it's such a great privilege to be associated with people like this. Now let me tell you something about him. He is wiser than most people who walk on the planet earth. The Bible would classify Fred as a wise man. You see, sometimes how we equate Christianity and how we equate wisdom is not the way the Lord tallies it up. You see, the Bible says, The fool hath said in his heart, There is no God. See, that's what the fool has said. He has said in his heart, There is no God. But the wise man is a man who will take instruction, and he has understanding. This man came to a knowledge 
of his need of God. Now, as far as I can see when I read parables about the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, this is a very sober, sobering, maybe I should say, parable. Because it talks to us about people who are saved. But a lot of emphasis is placed upon people who are not saved. Now, midnight is the dawn of a new day and the closing of one. And do you know what? We are living so close to the midnight hour. Now, how close, I don't know. Uh, when Sister Diane Nelson was making this sign uh, of the world, I told her to put the, the hand about 25 minutes to 12. And that's what she did. But somehow, if I, if, if I had to, to choose tonight, where should I put the hand? I'd put it up real close to 12 o'clock. Because so many things have happened in the seven years that have passed since she made these signs. We moved in this building in 1987. Can you believe we've been in here seven years? This past June, we, we moved in this building seven years ago. It seems like just yesterday. But I would change that, and I would put that real close to the 12 o'clock mark. I'm amazed when I read in the paper concerning the events that are shaping up. Brother Urshan preached about some of these at our camp meeting. But I, I'm just really amazed at, at what, what is happening in the Jewish nation today when they are, are signing covenants and such with the Palestinians and the other Arab nations. All this is Bible prophecy. And it almost seems like that they are taking... Uh, a, a subordinate role in, in this and, and, and just letting other people tell them what to do. Now, this is uncharacteristic uh, of, of, of that nation. And, but but you, you see this. And this is prophesied in the Bible. My, it, it, it's just amazing. So we're living in the day in which I believe that the midnight cry is being made. Behold, the bridegroom cometh. Go ye out to meet him. More and more and more, we're, we're seeing this great moving, this great outpouring of the Holy Ghost. I believe that God is calling people from all walks of life. It seems like there's no place that you go what people aren't concerned about revival. I remember several years ago I was invited down in the Bible Belt, deep into the Bible Belt, to give a seminar. And when I got there, there was a church with about 350 people. And when I asked for a show of the Bibles, there were probably a half a dozen Bibles in the whole church. I couldn't believe it. I just could not believe it. Now, I would venture to say, though, if you went to that same church tonight, and you ask for a show of Bibles, that uh, the percentage would be very, very high. And the reason why is because more and more and more, at least in, in the, my experience has been that you ask for a show of Bible, and, and almost everybody in the house has a Bible. Now, if I were to ask, do we have anyone here without their Bible? 
We might have some people that would raise their hands. I don't have a Bible. But for the most part, people are taking their Bibles. They are, they are concerned. They're concerned about the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And this is, this is very, very encouraging. Very encouraging. The, the church that is the, the furthest north of any United Pentecostal church is located in Fairbanks, Alaska. We don't have a church further north than that. I was there three years ago, and I was there in March. They had over 100 inches of snow on the ground at that time. The whole front of the church building, which was two-story, all you could see is just the little, the gable end peak sticking out. Uh, there was a pretty large... Uh, Island between the road and and the the sidewalk. I don't. I'm not for sure if it was lawn or what. I couldn't see it. But they had this huge mound of snow. And where I'm accustomed to seeing snow on the top of buildings here, sometimes this deep or whatever, you'd see. I mean, six or eight feet of snow on top of these buildings. And here, this this church had that. When you go inside, they had the windows from. Oh, probably two feet from the floor up to the to close to the ceiling, just long, narrow. And you look out, and snow was way up to the top. My, I said, I know I'm, I'm in the snow belt for sure. Cold. I mean, it gets cold up there. Uh, I don't, and it was March, but I, I don't think it was above zero a time that I was there. I was up there about three days. I mean, it was just plain cold. And I thought, well, I wonder what kind of response. Let me tell you what. When the doors opened and people came in, I have never seen a group of people more excited about having revival. I'm here to tell you they worshiped, they sought God. Several people, and I was teaching a seminar, were filled with the Holy Ghost. This was a stewardship seminar. They were needing a new building. And I was talking about money, making plans to build. Several people received the Holy Ghost. I went out with the pastor and some of the elders. We went to a local restaurant, and I mean to tell you, they sat on the edge of their seats, and they listened. They were ready for revival. Just fantastic. Then last year, we were down in the Caribbean Islands, and Brother... Richie with this long, narrow, shotgun-type building. No windows at all. Ten feet uh, wide and 64 feet long. Not a window in it. A lot of fans. You have to have a lot of fans. And they had that building just packed with people. In the three services we were there, I don't know how many people received the Holy Ghost... They had 19 people that were seeking for the Holy Ghost. I think all of those received the Holy Ghost, but one or two and then a few extra people. I mean, when they, when they crank up, they crank up. I mean, you talk about clapping their hands. and They, uh, they speak French, so Brother Richie had to interpret. And I personally would prefer to preach without an interpreter. But nevertheless, uh, he is a fine interpreter. And, but the thing about it is they taught us uh, the course of whose side are you leaning on. So uh, we brought it back here. And it wasn't until after 
we had finished the meeting, and I got back home, and I said, it just dawned on me, Brother Richie, that your theme song, that was their theme song, they sung that song every night before they left. I mean, they sung it with their whole heart. And it didn't dawn on me till we got back to Brother Rich's house and the meetings were over that they did not even know what they were singing. I said, they're singing that in English. Do they know the words? He said, oh, no. He said, I just haven't translated yet for them. He said, sometimes that's a little difficult. So I taught them in English. <laughs> and I'm telling you, they leap and they, they run and they clap and they worship God. I mean, they just really worship God with their whole heart. They don't know the words. They do a good job. I mean, a very good job. But his church choir came over to uh, the island of St. Vincent in Georgetown, I think is the name of the city, and that was the year before. And they sung almost every night, didn't they, Sister Grant? And they sung English words. And they, I mean, they, you could, you could hear those words, they, they, their pronunciation, uh, I mean, everything. I mean, they just, they just did a great job, but they didn't know what they were singing. But everybody worshiped God. They really worshiped God. Now, unless someone feels that, that I think that there's nobody ready to go to heaven, I wanted to, I wanted to put this in. I just definitely believe that there are many people that are conscientious, praying, trying, doing all they possibly can to make heaven their home. But in spite of all that, we do know that the Scripture tells us in Matthew, uh, the 22nd chapter, verse 14, that many people are called, but few are chosen. So the midnight cry is a call that's being made by the Holy Ghost. Now, it may be initiated by, by your Bible study, by maybe a testimony that you give, or a preacher standing behind the pulpit like I'm standing behind the pulpit tonight. That may be uh, what initiates this, but then there is that voice of God that speaks inside of the hearts of men, calling them to a place of repentance. And... We have heard so many outstanding reports about the worldwide revival which people are are involved in. My, some of these stories that you hear about people receiving the Holy Ghost. Brother Urshan was recently in El Salvador. Two nights, 2,900 people received the baptism of the Holy Ghost there. And it's just, it's amazing what God is doing. My, I mean, it's really a... Amazing. And mention was made in our camp about Colombia, Colombia, South America. This, this is, this is a, a, a good 15 or maybe 20 years ago. We had such a sweeping move, such a sweeping revival. We nationalized the country. By that I mean we didn't need resident missionaries there. And when the country was nationalized, after just a few years of preaching the gospel, over 80,000 people had come to the Lord in our churches there. And the number was growing. I don't know how many people in Colombia, South America. This is the country that, that the Pope became very concerned about that Brother Uselman was speaking of. But you see, in Matthew 13, Jesus gives seven parables. And the last parable is the parable 
of the great net that was cast into the sea. Matthew 13, 47. Again, the kingdom of heaven is likened to a net that was cast into the sea and gathered of every kind, which when it was full, they drew to shore and sat down and gathered the good into vessels, but cast the bad away. And this is the tragedy of this, that everybody that's brought under the influence of the Holy Ghost will not be saved. You know, you'd like to think that everybody that God talked to would respond and they'd be saved. But it's just not going to be that way. And notice what the Scripture says in verse 49, So shall it be at the end of the world. The angels shall come forth and sever the wicked from among the just and shall cast them into the furnace of fire. There shall be wailing and gnashing of teeth. But you notice what happened. They were brought in under the influence of the gospel net. That is, the power of the Holy Ghost. Jesus had told us, you know, many are called, but few are chosen. He said, not every man that saith, Lord, Lord, shall enter therein. In fact, he went on to say that, that come judgment day, there will be people that will stand before him, uh, you know, very inquisitive saying, well, Lord, I, uh, I don't really understand this. Have not I cast out devils in your name? Have not I healed the sick in your name? But Jesus will say, depart from me, ye that work iniquity. I never knew you. Now, I'm sure that when Jesus made that statement, that this was kind of a broad statement. There's no real clear-cut answer that would be forever. In other words, the case would be different probably for Many different people. Some of those people, no doubt, were backslidden people that lost their walk with God. And, and that's just the way it was. And, and, and God just doesn't mark up, you know, uh, well, He lived for me 365 days a, a year for 13 years, but 10 years of His life He was backslidden. But because He was living for me longer than He was backslidden, I'll let Him go to heaven. No, 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 it doesn't work that way. As the writer of the book of Ecclesiastes states, in the direction that the tree falleth, there it shall lie. That simply means that when, when God calls you home, uh, your status with God at that particular time is what makes the difference. It's what makes the difference. Uh, others, no doubt, uh, having uh, somewhat of a walk with God, but denying the truth of a lot of the Scriptures, that this would be their case, that, you know, they, 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 they pray over their food in Jesus' name, and they pray over sick people in Jesus' name. They cast out devils in Jesus' name, but they won't take His precious name in baptism. Now, you may not believe this, but I have actually had some people that, that would say Jesus' name, baptism, is of the devil. I asked a minister one time, how can you say Jesus' name baptism is of the devil when the apostles all baptized in Jesus' name? Do you believe the apostles baptized in Jesus' name? He said, well, I guess they did. I said, were they all devil-possessed or were they doing this by the power of the devil? He said, well, no, not. I said, well, how can we go wrong when we follow the apostles? He said, yeah, but Jesus said. I said, Matthew said that Jesus said. And when Peter preached on the day of Pentecost, the Bible says, And Peter, standing up with the eleven, 
Let me ask you, where do you think Matthew was? Of course, at the time that this happened, there was no New Testament. Acts, the second chapter, there was no Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John at that time. This was given later on. I said, there's no contradiction in the Scripture. Do you believe all the Bible? Oh, yes, I believe all the Bible. How can you believe all the Bible? He said, well, there are just some things you cannot understand. I said, why do you oppose baptism in Jesus' name? Well, he said, truthfully, he said, I guess I just, I grew up in this church, and that's the way it is. And let me tell you something, tradition can lock a lot of people out of the kingdom of God. You may say, well, Brother Grant, that seems to be so unfair. Look, I'm not God. I don't judge what's fair and what's not fair. But as long as I have strength to stand behind the pulpit and a voice to preach, I've got to preach what thus saith the word of the Lord. Hallelujah. Because I believe that every man's going to be judged according to what's written in the book. Oh, hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. This is what I believe. So there is a cry being made by the power of the Holy Ghost. Now I'm saying all that to say this, that Jesus Christ may be talking to you tonight, but as much as He's talking to you, it's equally as important that you listen to Him, that you follow Him, And listen, when you are following the Lord, you can't just depend on the voice that speaks inwardly to you because that voice that speaks inwardly to you does not contradict what the Bible says. This is also the Word of God. And we have to listen to the Word of the Lord. I remember a time in which I tried everything I could. I tried. I was was honest in my approach, but I... I just wanted to believe something else other than the Pentecostal doctrine. I think most people go through that. Now, I'm not saying most people go through the way you... In other words, you want to challenge what you believe. You want to be right. And I studied and prayed, and the more I studied, and the more I prayed, and the more I sought God. Because at that time, the Holy Ghost was leading me, but I wasn't fully committed to God. Now, you may say, how can that be? Because... Truthfully, I I didn't really know if all this speaking in tongues was right. I didn't know that. My mother had spoken in tongues for years. But I'd heard so many people say, it's not what your mother does. Because when you stand before God, you stand before God alone. And I wasn't satisfied with speaking in tongues just because mom spoke in tongues. I wasn't satisfied speaking in tongues just because my grandfather spoke in tongues or my grandmother spoke in tongues. I had to know the truth for myself. And you take the Bible and you start your search for truth. And you look and you pray and you look and you pray and you look and you pray. I was under the influence of the great dragnet. But oh, thank the Lord, the more I looked and the more I prayed and the more I searched, the more I knew that this was truth. Praise God. And I like this. I know we're, we're, using, we're using the exploring God's Word more than 
the Search for Truth uh, home Bible study charts. But I, I like the slogan that's found in the front of the Search for Truth. It shows a man's hand with an open Bible, and it says this, when you open your Bible, you open your heart. Let me ask you this. You love truth more than you love tradition? Do you love truth more than you love fiction? Are you just set on serving God your own way? Or would you like to find God in a new dimension, a scriptural dimension? Something that's powerful, something that's mighty, something that's saving. Oh, hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. I will say this, if the trumpet blows and you don't go up because you're locked in tradition, you will regret that you did not heed my advice. The midnight cry, but God is calling men. His house must be full. His house must be full. That statement about many are called but few are chosen was taken from a parable of the great supper, the marriage feast. Now I want to talk about the midnight crowd for a little bit. Uh, I I know that this that the word crowd is not found in this, but I'm using it only because I want to stick with the seas, the cry and the crowd, the people. Uh, <clears throat> Even in religious circles, if you turn to Second Timothy two, I'm just assuming that that uh, Paul is talking to Timothy about religious people because of his summary about this. Know this also that in the last days perilous times shall come. The word perilous appears. Another place in the New Testament has to do with the maniac of Gadara. It's actually taken from a, a Greek word that means fierce or savage. This man was of such beastly nature that he would tear himself, cut himself, he lived in the graveyard. Now, it's amazing when the devil gets a hold of people uh, how sadistic and, and pitiful that, that they become. You, you look at some of the rock stars and all this. I was walking through uh, Pick and Save in, in Shano. Uh, I had uh, taken an interest in, in just helping someone a little bit with uh, some house plans. I thought, well, I'll see if they have a, a book on house plans. So I went in, and they didn't have one. But I'm amazed at all the the, the wrestling. It's professional wrestling. You know, it's a it's a, looks it's demon possession. Looks like to me. Wasn't like it was when I was a kid. Every now and then, when I was a kid, they'd have some guy that came out with a mask on or something. The mask guys were always the bad guys. They had a bad guy and a good guy. But these guys, I was amazed. They used, looks like lipstick or to paint their face. 
and they got uh, chains and biting on glass, blood dripping out. I thought of this this man that Jesus Christ delivered. Really. Really cuts all over their body and big huge chains all over them. I didn't pick up any of the magazines and look at them. I'm not interested in that. But they were just there for viewing on the front. Man, it's amazing that the death call is there. It, and you see, this is what the Scripture says. Now, these savage times in which attention is devoted to self, and I think it, it has to be that way before demon possession will come, influences, highly influences Christianity. You know that? Now notice what the Scripture says, for men shall be lovers of their own self, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God. Now, you see, this is what's in the world, and it has its influence, then, in Christianity. And notice what the Scripture says. Having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof from such turn away. I mean, it's a sad day when denominations and churches have to keep their doors open by playing bingo and having beer parties. I mean, I might as well just pull out all the stops and tell it like it is. I mean, it's just utterly ridiculous. It's just crazy. I went to a barbershop one time, and, he, and the man told me, the barber says, oh, he said, I'll tell you one thing. Said we met with our our priest and and he said we are going to operate by faith this year. We're putting up, we're ordering five semi loads. Five. Four semi loads a beer than we've been ordering. This is an operation of faith. We're getting and we, I mean, this is an operation of faith. That's before the state allowed them to play bingo, so they had to have this operation of faith, see. I mean, what happened to the Bible? Somebody's got to be asleep. But understand this, that in the last days there will set in perilous times of great stress and trouble, hard to deal with and hard to bear. I'm reading from the Amplified Bible, which has many different possible translations. 
For people would be lovers of self and utterly self-centered. Lovers of money and aroused by an inordinate, greedy desire for wealth. And some of you, listen to me, some of you that's so, so obsessed with materialism, you need to let the Holy Ghost get a hold of you and drive you down to this altar and shake you like a horse trotting on concrete. And some of you have that bad because that's all you can talk about. What you got that's new. What you wear. <laughs> Proud and arrogant and contemptuous boasters. They will be abusive, that is, blasphemous, and scoffers, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, and profane. Now, <clears throat> you know, the thing about it is, <laughs> America, see, is being educated by the television set. Might as well talk about that. Isn't that true? Now, I don't know, maybe I'm speaking, if you have a television set in your home, let me give you some real good, solid, sound Christian advice, okay? <clears throat> take it out on the back 40 and take your shotgun and see if you can blow the thing to smithereens. I mean, there's nothing in Hollywood that's going to teach you one thing about Jesus Christ. I, I remember uh, uh, un, an unsaved teenager, and I was dating my wife, and uh, we'd go out to the movies. Now, my mother didn't like for us to go to the movies, but my dad wasn't in the church, and he took up for me a little bit. I said, well, he's not living for God. You can't just make him, you know, and... You know, I was grown. No, <clears throat> I have grown some since then. But uh, my mother, and, and then she came in one day and she said, <clears throat> what, uh, what movie did you see? I said, oh, I went to, a, it was about the Bible. It was. Yes, I said it was. It was... Uh, uh, by John the Baptist. And, uh, oh. And, uh, so, she began to talk to me. And I said, now, last week I went to see one that was about David and Bathsheba. And, uh, so, she asked me some questions. She said, now, did it show this lady bathing? on the housetop. I said, yes. Of course, that was back before you know, the nude stuff came in. Uh, God only knows what it looked like now. <clears throat> but, uh, you know, what about uh, John the Baptist? What about uh, Herod's wife's daughter? Did she her dancing? Said, yeah. What you have on, son? Well, <clears throat> I didn't want to tell you. She said, now sit down, I want to talk to you. So I sat down. She said, did it ever occur to you that when the Bible says that she danced, that that's all God wanted you to know? 
She said, did it ever occur to you that the people making this movie are not interested in you knowing much about the Bible? That's not designed to teach you one thing about the Bible. Gulp. <clears throat> she was dead serious about this. She said, obviously, she said, you're going to go to all the movies you want. But she, says, she said, let me tell you something about some of these things you see. You will go to your grave and you will not be able to erase some of that from your mind. And every time you see these things, they become a permanent fixture of your mind and your imagination. And I don't care how much God you get in your soul later on. You will not be as strong in God as you could have been. I said, now wait a minute. You, are you telling me that God's not able? Now I'm saying this in my mind. I didn't talk back to my mother. I respected my mother. You know. Are you telling me God's not able to erase that from my mind? It has nothing to do with God. There's something about the flesh that holds on. They will be without natural or human affection, callous and inhuman, relentless, admitting of no truce or appeasement. They will be slanderers, false accusers, troublemakers. Troublemakers. Do you know the world has more troublemakers today than ever before? The opposite of a troublemaker is a peacemaker. And the only way you can be a peacemaker is have an element of goodness inside of you. It comes from teaching. Now, there's no doubt about it. You can be involved in something far less than the truth, and your parents can teach you certain elements of goodness. There are a lot of people that are that way. But what is happening today, you got to say it again, is that we, we move in the television such and let the kids go in, and, and it becomes kind of a babysitter. You don't have to train them much anymore. You, know. you don't really don't. And kids grew up without many responsibilities. And that's all they know is some horror movie or some sadistic this or that. That's, that's, that's all they know. Well, then, why can we as Americans then feel that we can escape raising the savages that we're raising? How do you think we can escape? I want to throw this in. You know, you, you need to teach your child to be responsible. We teach this in our Christian stewardship. That's what it's all about. If we have any teenagers here, let me say this. We, we have several families in our church where the parents, or the parents, single parents, 
that they have worked and worked and worked and worked and worked and worked and worked to keep the family intact. And my, my hat is off, and I certainly salute you. But by all means, teach your son or your daughter to be responsible. See, my dad's father died when my dad was seven years old, 1923. My grandfather, Grant, died of a heart attack. They were going to a church, Methodist church, I think it was. He was in a wagon, driving the wagon. He just fell over. He was dead. So my grandmother, Grant, had the responsibility of raising all the children, a bunch of girls and boys. And then later on, she had some kind of disease, and she went blind. And you know what the kids did? They all got jobs, and, and they kept the family together. Some of them lived over here on this farmer's house, and some on this one, some over here, all around. I can take you back to East Texas to a little house, farmhouse, where my dad lived with a farm family, made money, sent it back home. See, this is when goodness and character, teaching kids to be responsible and such, meant something. You're doing your family an injustice, mom or dad, if you let your child grow up and not be responsible. Well, because my dad grew up that way, uh, he let me know right away. Now, son, you can work in the summertime. You've got to work. When you bring home money, you're going to buy your own school clothes. Uh, you and, and I did. I had to do that. So one summer I kind of goofed off and didn't spend my money wisely. And you know what my mother and dad did? I said, now, you're, that's back when you didn't go to school with holes in your pants like like kids do now, you know. <clears throat> you know what I had to do? I had to take my jeans down and take all the knees and cut them out and I had to get material and put it in there and sew it myself. My mother said, now look, you goofed off and you didn't buy jeans and you're going to patch these pants and you're wearing them to school. Now this is going to sound like tough medicine. Some of you are wondering how Am I going to send my kid to, to the Christian school? I mean, if they're able to work at Hardy's and Wendy's and such, they can, they can help support that family. I mean, so I'd never tell my child he had to pay his own way through life. You're doing your child an injustice. Hello? Hello? And some of you teenagers that walk around with pockets full of money to go to malls and various places and out for pizza and your mother is working her fingers to the bone and you won't dare open your wallet and help her, you ought to be ashamed of yourself! You lazy weasel! Unthankful! Unholy! 
disobedient to parents. This is a savage, fierce society that we're living in. This is the midnight crowd. Sound like strong medicine? It's got to be that way. And you know what's going to... You know what America's going to do? We're going to force America to cut off all the welfare and everything because we have become an irresponsible nation. And you just can't have 40% of the people feeding 60%. You may say, do you disagree with it? I'm just saying there's not that much money. It won't work. That's totally irresponsible. I listened to a message yesterday coming from Madison. It was the governor of Michigan. Michigan just denied welfare to anyone that could work. Now, we're not talking about people who could work but can't find a job. I mean, if you're physically strong enough to work, you either work or it's all cut off. And they said, you know, it's amazing now. The workforce in Michigan has increased over 25% in the last year. And what happened was the governor said, I just became smart enough and I ran my own survey and I found out that there were many jobs in which employers just couldn't fill them because people wouldn't work. And he said, well, we had, we had all kinds of programs to teach people how to work. He said... That doesn't work either. Most people know how to work if they get hungry enough. <clears throat> Hello? And he said, you know what? We found out that in four or five days on a job that an employer can teach them how to work. And he said, not only that, this method builds character into them. He said, well, what if they won't work? And he said, well, they just have to find another state to live in. Michigan is not the place. <clears throat> of course, the sad thing is they may come to Wisconsin. No, I'm serious. They may come to Wisconsin. Mmm. My, <clears throat> they will be treacherous, betrayers, rash, and inflated with self-conceit. They will be lovers of sensual pleasures and vain amusements more than and rather than lovers of God. I'm just reading out of the, that's the crowd. Have you ever seen a more descriptive picture of 94 than this? It's today. Now, I'm not trying to be hard on our teenagers or single parents. I'm trying to help you. I'm especially trying to help the mothers who work so hard. Let me tell you something. We have some single parents that should be rewarded for their efforts. I really mean that.
And we have some young people who are responsible. And some young people who are helping. And certainly my hat is off to you young people. But you see, what we're doing, when we talk about this crowd, we've got to talk about Laodicea because it matches Matthew 13. The Laodicean church of Revelation 3, unto the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, These things saith the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning and the creation of God. I know thy works, that thou art neither hot nor cold. I would that thou art cold or hot. So then because thou art lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. Because thou sayest, I am rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing. Isn't it something that earthly commodities give you such a sense of security? Isn't it something? I caught myself thinking like this. My mother was sick, and she's still sick, and I do covet your prayers for mom. But we went uh, home, kind of an emergency-type trip in April to see her. At the time, the van that I, I have, I'm driving, the tires were just smooth. I just didn't have enough money to buy tires. Roy and Lois were going with us and Lana. I said, well, I know we need to go, and I don't have the money for tires. And I'll tell you what we're just going to have to do. We're just going to have to pray all the way down there. We're going to have to drive slow. Well, God worked it out where I got some tires. I thank the Lord for that. But when I got in the vehicle and I was going down the freeway when we left, I just had the new tires put on that day. I, I actually said this. I repented a little while later. I said this. I said, well... <clears throat> I don't guess I need to be concerned now. I've got new tires. I don't know why, but I, I didn't mean anything by it. But later on, I that kept coming back to me. I thought, wait a minute. Now, I, I told them, looks like we're going to have to trust God all the way because our tires are bad. Now, I said, I guess we don't have to be concerned now. I've got new tires. See, that's what earthly possessions can do for you. Where's Roy Curter? <clears throat> I felt such a relief. As if, well, God don't worry, we took care of ourselves now. We got a maid. I don't want to be a foolish virgin. I don't want to be a Laodicean. And the reason why is because there's such a spirit in the world today, and I fight that. I fight. I see that on other people. And it's amazing when you see it on other people. It, it's, it seems bad when they do that. It's not so bad when you do it. Because you know how you think and you know you mean well. 
you know, how you judge other people. But when I'm fasting, it almost seems repulsive when other people eat. And when I'm in the prayer room and I come out and I see everybody yakking, I, I have a tendency to feel bad. But then there are times when I can't go because somebody catches me and somebody says this and somebody says that. You know, you always have to be... You know what I'm saying? I told one person not too long ago, I said, look, if fasting and prayer makes you feel worse about the body of Christ... There's something going on inside of you that you need to get rid of when you're fasting and praying. It should give you a greater love for God's people. A greater concern for God's people. Doesn't mean you won't recognize faults. But I will say this, that fasting and prayer should be designed to point out your own faults, not the faults of others. Now let's talk about the midnight call that came from heaven on an ordinary day like July 10th 1994 just like this day people are going to get up they're going to look out the windows sun's coming up things are bright things are nice All over the world, people are stirring. Some are going to sleep. Some are asleep. Some are going to be in church. Some may be even hearing the word of the Lord preached. Some may be praying for the Holy Ghost. You know, the truth of the matter is these five foolish virgins were trying to acquire oil, which is a symbol of the Holy Ghost. And I think, Lord, could this be the day that you could come? On an ordinary day like this, wasn't it beautiful today? That maybe a service just concluded or maybe coming to service or whatever, you get in your automobile, you drive down the road. Maybe you're unprepared. Maybe the car in front of you is fully loaded with rapture-ready Christians. And all of a sudden, you, because you're not in tune, you didn't hear the trumpet sound. The Bible says, The Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, and with the voice of the archangel, the dead in Christ shall rise first. And we that are alive remain shall be caught up. But there is no evidence in the Scripture that people who do not know God will even hear that trumpet sound. The parable doesn't indicate that. While they were out busy doing their own thing or whatever they were doing, Jesus came and they did not even know it. And all of a sudden... You see this car start down the highway like this, and you say, what in the world? What's wrong with Brother Jones' car? And you look, and you say, it appears that there's nobody driving that car. And all of a sudden, it runs into a ditch and hits up 
against a light pole and you jump out and you run over there thinking you're going to help somebody and you open and there's nobody in there. You say, this is a weird thing. Wow. Then all of a sudden you decide you turn around and go back to church and you go back to church and you run in and you, you see the pastor's car out <laughs> oh thank the Lord I hope it's going to be this way with me and you knock on his door and there's no answer you see the light on in the pastor's wife's office you go up and there's nobody in there say so, hey something strange is going on hmm You turn on the radio and you find out that there was just a small plane crash over near Truex. So there's something mysterious going on with us. When we arrived at the wreck, there was no pilot. And all of a sudden you start thinking about of all the teaching. And you say, Lord, could it be? that I missed the call. You know, whatever you have to do to be rapture ready, you should do it. Work out all of your hypocrisies. Stop telling all of your falsehoods or whatever. I'm just naming off, you know. I'm, I'm just, I told you to start with. I believe there's so many people rapture ready. But I'm just aiming at perhaps that one person in a hundred that might not be that way. The person that's not honest, the person that's not sincere, the person that falls into this third chapter of Second Timothy situation. People who are stuck on themselves. My. See, after Paul... You see, in the Greek language, if I understand this correctly, Brother Rutherford, the Bible was canonized by church fathers and and did not contain chapters. Is that is that correct? So we read First Corinthians thirteen. For the Lord Himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel. With the trump of God and the dead in Christ shall rise first. And we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore comfort one another with these words. But it doesn't stop there. But of the times and the seasons, brethren. See, sometimes when we change chapters, we think we change subjects. That's not true in this case. You have no need that I write unto you, for you... 
yours for yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so cometh as a thief in the night. And when they shall say peace and safety, then sudden destruction cometh upon them as travail upon the woman with child, and they shall not escape. But ye brethren are not in darkness that the day should overtake you as a thief. He's saying, look, you're not in darkness. You have the leadership of the Spirit. God's going to talk to you. He's going to use every method possible. And I trust that every special song that was sung from the time that our praise singers started singing these choruses, Sister Sue sung her beautiful song of Move Me With Your Message. Brother Glenn made the announcements and such that everything that was done here tonight enhanced you to be ready. Therefore, let us not sleep as others do, but let us watch and be sober. I want to strengthen my convictions. I don't want to loosen them. I want to increase my relationship with God. I don't want to be slipshod with my prayer life. can't afford to be. I've invested so much time and so much energy. I'd hate to lose out here on the end. But it appears what the scripture is saying that some people will just become weary in this savage world of ours and say what's the use did you know a precious sister that I've known for a long time told me just the other day on the phone she said I think I'm just going to give up I said give up what just give up tired of fighting Tired of fighting what? Give up on what? Now, I was questioned this way because I was trying to provoke her to think correctly. I don't know, just so many aches and pains, and got where it's harder to get up in the morning and can't sleep at night, and things are not working out financially. Give up. Let me ask you something, sister. If you give up, you think it's going to get easier? You'd be consumed in a moment's time by evil spirits. Going to get any easier? Guess not, Brother Grant. See, oh. You can't even entertain a thought. Hallelujah. 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 
I hope every time I stand behind this pulpit, I can challenge any spirit that would come upon you to rock you to sleep in Zion. I hope God gives me enough faith to pray every devil out of your trail to see that you make heaven your home. Oh, hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Hallelujah, hallelujah. We want to stand fast on the Word of the Lord. Keep our eyes in tune with heaven. And eagerly await the trumpet sound. Oh, praise God. Let's stand. Oh, hallelujah, hallelujah. It's time for us to give someone a chance to come and seek God tonight. Oh, my, 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 my. I feel the conviction. I feel the anointing of the Holy Ghost. Praise God. If your heart is not prepared to meet the Lord, if you're bogged down in problems, you've got your eyes on this world that's swallowing you up. If for somehow you're discontent or disgruntled or whatever the case may be, please purify your soul tonight with the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let God arouse you. Let God waken you. Let God purify you. Oh, hallelujah. Come on right now. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. That's it. Let's come on and seek the Lord. My, Jesus is moving. Jesus is talking. Come on right now. Get your heart right with God. Don't wait another day. Don't wait another hour. Oh, God, oh, God, oh, God. Oh, the Lord is so wonderful. And please, if you see a person hurting, you see a person praying that needs a touch of the Lord, pray with that person. Do everything you can to get that person rapture ready. Come on right now as our praise singers sing. He's all I need. He's all.